This is Bishop Michael Curry, and you're listening to The Way of Love. In this episode of The Way of Love podcast, I catch up with the one and only Jen Hatmaker, New York Times bestselling author, host of For the Love podcast, and leader of a tightly knit online community where she reaches millions of people every week. We discuss Jen's newest book, Feed These People, Slam Dunk Recipes for Your Crew, and How Meals Connect Us to Life in Community. Jen and I also discuss the importance of telling the truth about American history and how we can look out and advocate for folk who are being targeted right now, especially our LGBTQ family members. Oh, Jen, welcome back to The Way of Love. It's so good to talk with you and catch up with you. Oh, you're wonderful. And and to see all the things you're doing, my God. I am so glad to see you. You are one of my favorite people on planet Earth. So all I ever have to do is get a little email in my inbox saying, you want to come on Bishop Curry's podcast? I'm like, say the day. What day? What time? All the days. Yes. Thank you for having me back. I'm so happy to see you. Well, back at you. You are one of my favorite people. And I'm just, I I just love talking with you. And this is exciting. It's been a little while, I guess, at least. Yeah. At least what's been going on? What are you doing? And it's been a lot, right? These last three years, um, I was just having a conversation with a friend and we realized we just passed the three year mark on COVID. And it just feels at once, like it's only been one minute and also like it's been a million years. I, I can't pick which way I feel about it. It was fast and slow. Yeah. We're still, you know, over here emerging. I, mm. this year has stabilized, which is lovely. Yeah. After 2020, after 2021, I'll take stable and boring for the rest of my life. Like, oh, yeah. yes, yes, please give me stable and boring. And so I'm with you. <laughs> I'm down, Bishop. You know, I have five kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I am down to just one left. There's one person that lives in this house with me. Wow. And it's just the two of us. None of neither one of us know what to do. We've been in a big family as yeah. long as we can remember. We keep looking at each other going, Oh my God. Is it dinner? Like, do I cook it? Oh. Do you do we just go out? What what is this life? So she's a junior in high school. Wow. Yeah. All the other little birdies have flown out of the nest. Yep. The fourth one is a freshman. He went off to college um, this this past fall. And I'm just, it's it's a little bit wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've been parenting since I was 23. So yeah. it's a little bit wonderful. And it's a little bit weird. And yeah. so I kind of feel two ways about it. But I'm proud of them. It's fun to have young adults. It's fun to watch them fly. It's fun yeah. to watch them just become who they are. And I had a little hand in that, but it's just them. This is who they are and where they're going. And so it's fun to be kind of on the sidelines a little. Wow. Well, coming out of, I guess it's coming out of the last time we talked might have been at the tail end of the pandemic. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we're still in pandemic, Uh but it was the tail end of it. What what have you been thinking about since then? What's emerged for you, you know, to Mm. might help the rest of us? Because we're kind of in the funky land between the pandemic, the height of it is over, but COVID hasn't left the neighborhood. That's right. There were residual impacts. I'm not sure we all know what they were are yet. I know. It, it sometimes seems absurd that um, 
that people look to ordinary people for guidance. And I'm like, I'm out here flesh, just thrashing around like everybody else. But, you know, I don't know if you remember this, Bishop, but I told you this when you were, you gave the benediction for my podcast in 2021, which is what you were talking about, kind of the closing blessing over the year and prayers for the year to come. And I remember I told you then that I had just that very, just from the beginning of the pandemic, I'd lost my marriage. I was married for 26 years and um, married to a pastor. Uh And so, you know, we had, we had structured our whole life around church and church planting. We have a church still thriving Uh here in Austin and I didn't see it coming. And so among right in the middle of this global pandemic, which of course none of us saw coming, I lost my marriage that summer, that very first summer of 2020. And um, so I feel like I have, I'm coming out of such a tailspin and I know I'm not the only one. I, you know, I have my finger on the pulse of our communities and I'm listening. So many of us suffered in ways, both visible and invisible these last couple of years and the pandemic was hard on a lot of us it was hard on our marriages some of us lost marriages a lot of us lost jobs um our some in some cases our entire industry was rattled and Mm -hmm. is yet to kind of fully rebound or recover and so i know for sure that the common story right now is emerging from some pain i think that's just to varying degrees but we don't we're not in pain olympics pain is pain if it's if it's sad and hard in your life then it is sad and hard that's it we're not in competition um and so i i think for me and one thing i'm telling my community a lot these days is it has had that awful purifying effect man i hate that this is in the bible and i wish this wasn't the system i do but suffering does does do a have a strange purifying effect on our hearts and our souls it just does and you know i wish we got to these places from joy and laughter i wish that was the path that would be turns out it wouldn't that be nice why can't that be the system but um i i find myself sitting in the seat right now where i'm just saying "Ooh, what really matters and it's pretty pared down it, it, it pared down quite a bit for me. And what do I care about? I'm at the halfway point of my life, more or less. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, all right, how do I want to spend the second half? Yes. What What do I care yeah. about? What's What gives life? What is full of love? What's full of hope? Where's that? Where's yeah. that story? Yeah. That's the story that I want to hook into. And to some degree, we can choose it to some degree, despite our circumstances, right? Don't you think? Yes. Yes. I'm with you on that. You can't. We can, we can choose how we internalize and respond. That's it. That's what we have. It, it, it's work. We can't. We can't control what happens. That's exactly but, right. Yeah. We can. We can control yeah. how we respond and how we um, process it. I, I've learned a lot about mm-hmm. processing these last couple of years in therapy because I had so much trauma from the loss of my marriage and just working my kids through their shock and trauma too. And so I've learned a lot about what it means to let our pain flow through us, to feel it, to face it, to admit it, um, not to resist it, but just to let it be what it is. And that to me has been a real path of healing. And so my tendency, my instinct 
is to resist pain. I, I've yeah. been historically not good with hard things. I just prefer the top half of the glass. Yeah. That's just how I was born. Yep. An eternal optimist. And so I really had to have practitioners help me yeah. learn how to live in the bottom half of the glass for a while. Yeah. And turns out there's beauty there too. Who yeah. who knew? Yeah. There's beauty there too, ultimately. Somebody just recently, I can't remember where I was, but it was in a conversation about navigating through dark times. Mm. And um, this person quoted Howard Thurman, mm. who used to speak of, remember, darkness is always luminous. Hmm. Yes. There's even light at the depth of the sea. Mm, it's so beautiful. You can't see it ordinarily. It's not obvious, but it's luminous darkness. Mm. That's what you're describing. It's true. Barbara Brown Taylor talks about that. Does she really? Yeah, that's one of her like beautiful metaphors that she uses. Um, it's a gift to us to be able to have leaders lead us through that luminous darkness. Yeah. And to realize that even here, we are loved. God is with us. He always was, never wasn't. He is with us down there at the bottom of the ocean. There are beautiful things to discover there that you just cannot perceive in the bright, shiny light of day. You just can't. Yep. So I'm on the downhill swing here from all of that loss and feeling grateful, feeling like life is pretty precious and that I don't want to squander it on nonsense. That's where I find myself sitting these days. Awesome. Awesome. And you know what was wonderful about it? You went to people who could not Job, not like Job's friends. <laughs> We're not particularly helpful right. on his journey, but you, right. you found some not friends, helpful. some folks, therapists, or friends, or colleagues who are helpful. Um, who are helpful? Yeah, that's right. And your podcast help others. You know what I mean? Those become conversations. That's right. You know, I just um, I can look back over the course, of, well, really my whole life, frankly, and just see how many people were just a little bit ahead of me on the path. And they just had the kindness. They had the generosity of spirit to hold up a lantern, right? For those of us who were still behind them. And they held up their lights and said, this was my story. And this is how I got through. This is what I learned. And this is what you can know. Um, this is what I discovered. And this is how I got there. These were my best teachers. These were my best practices. Those lanterns yeah. lit my path. And so I feel like now, and it's to some degree, I've always felt this way as a leader, but a big part of my job is to hold up the right lanterns, the ones that I can. I can't hold them all up. I only uh -huh. have a few, but the ones that I have are mine to hold up. Are and yours. so for me, this has been a season of a lot of transparency in front of my community. I suffered in front of them. I yeah. grieved in front of them. I processed in front of them. And I've been healing in front of them and talking about it all along the way. This is what I'm learning. This is what's hard. This is where I keep stumbling. Um, this is a new idea for me. This is some free therapy. I spent $125 on it and I'm going to give it to you right now. <laughs> you get it for free. Um, and so uh, those are my lanterns. Yeah. And I feel a real sense of responsibility to hold them up well. Well, and in that way, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm slightly, this is a terrible segue, but in that way, you've been feeding folk. Um, you've been, and that leads yes. me. <laughs> you've got a recipe book. 
Isn't that funny? Isn't that the craziest thing? You know, it's not my genre. I write books for women, yeah. you know, generally in the kind of faith and like development space. And so yeah. um, I've always loved to cook forever, uh-huh. just like a regular person does, just a home cook who cooks for all the people who live here. Yeah. And um, I've been writing recipes online, just helter skelter ad hoc for years. Oh, have you really? Oh, okay. Yeah, my community just kept saying to me, would you write us a cookbook, but like this? You know, I write it in my way, Bishop, like uh, sarcastic and melodramatic and long and full of too many words and hyperbole and just the way I do. I wasn't trying to write be, write a cookbook. I was just trying to be silly. Um, and so they said, write us a book the way that you do. And so I actually, um, I wrote that cookbook during the pandemic, just after mm-hmm. I lost my marriage. And I'll tell you, um, I told my team after I turned it in, I said, look, I don't know if a single person is going to read this cookbook, if they're going to buy it. I have no idea. But if nobody does it all, every second of this project will still have been worth it because it was so nurturing for me. I just didn't have any gas in the tank to write a book that required a lot of emotional heavy lifting. I was on fumes. You know, I was um, I was just in recovery and, and healing myself. But you know what I could do? I could write about pot roast. Yeah. I could go in my kitchen and cook 700 million hours of test recipes, feeding everybody along the way. I, I would just say all my best friends, Bishop, live right by me. Oh, really? They're nearby. One on my street, two oh. on the street behind me, with, with 0.02 miles apart from each other. I can't tell you how many times I would send out a text. I'd be like, I have four recipes. They're done. None of them go together. One's a breakfast, one's a dessert, one's a dinner, one's a, just, can you come over and test them? I need, oh. a, I need honest opinions. And they were like, on our way. So yeah. my people were like, write another cookbook. Oh we ate for God. a year. I'm like, yes, that's so true. It was so fun. Oh my God. It's called Feed These People. And that's just kind of what I do. And that's what most home cooks do. They're just feeding the people they love. And uh, and there's just something, you know, the Bible has quite a bit to say about the table and the power of it and what it means to gather around food and feasts and family and friends and faith. I mean, that is a through line. I mean, throughout all of scripture, the world has known for a long time that there's something nurturing and nourishing and powerful and even sacred about gathering around a table with people that you love and breaking bread. And so it's not a new idea. Very, very, very old idea. Um, And it just, it still has legs. It It still has legs. Yes, it does. It's still a good practice. Now, now this isn't the the greatest metaphysical question, um, nor is it the deepest existential question. Okay. What's your favorite recipe? Mm. Oh man, listen, I like to pretend that I am sophisticated, that I have a sophisticated palate, Uh that I like food that is elevated and I do, but I'll tell you, I'm just a Southern girl who kind of grew up down and dirty Uh on food Uh and my, probably my favorite, (laughs) my favorite recipe in the book is called Diner cheeseburger sliders with trash sauce. Have mercy. Have mercy. It's just, talking my it's, language. Just, <laughs> it's just what it sounds like. It's exactly oh what it sounds like. It's sloppy, goopy, cheeseburgery, greasy, delicious. I could eat it every day of my life. Oh, so, oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say I was going to feed you healthy. I said oh. I'm just going to feed you. No. So, know what you're getting. That's right. Sometimes <laughs> you just want good, whether it's good for you or not. I want something that's good. That's right. Heck yeah. I love it.
my sense of you is that you really do feed us and feed and that's part of who you are Thank you. and mm-hmm. and and you have you know in your podcast and and I'm guessing in other aspects of your ministry have set a table before us or the Lord sets a table mm-hmm. before us and you've mm-hmm. um you know kind of like Mary and Martha in the Bible um yeah. provided something tended for it. to eat yeah mm-hmm. tended it and that's kind of what you do. And I mean, I was just kind of, yeah. I was looking at what to your web. I hadn't been there in about a year. I hadn't looked yeah. to see. I said, my God, all this has happened in a year. I mean, there's more. I mean, yeah. your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of little slivers of the pie chart. And, you know, my um, my North Star is just is being faithful, being a faithful leader in, um, toward what is good and right and true. Just under the North Star, just south of it are women. And so women yeah. is, that's just my, that's what's been put in front of me to serve yeah. and to lead well. And so I'm always thinking, how can I get to them? How can I serve them? What do they need? Yeah. What are they craving? What are their questions? Mm-hmm. Um, where are their pain points? Um, how can we gather? Because one thing I have learned, Bishop Curry, about leading women is if I can just figure out how to get them in the same space, at that point, the sum is greater than its parts because women have this alchemy with one another yeah. where they they just create community. You you can't stop it. You you I don't need to organize it. I don't have to I don't have to pull all the levers. I don't have to put a ton of structure. They the women do it because women are authentic generally mm-hmm. and they're craving it from other women. So, I've just got all these little silos where I'm like, okay, here are gathering points. When we come to the podcast, let's be in the listening community where we're learning from people. You want to be in the book club? Come here. Let's be readers together. And we read beautiful books and books that change our hearts and souls and minds. And we have this incredible community over here. And, and I have my readers from all the books that I write. And that's, that is a community in itself. And then I have this whole course that we, we call them me the courses. Me courses and it's, it's essentially everything I know. That's what it is, Bishop Gore. It's everything I know. And my team and I went, okay, how can we fit everything into these really condensed a library of sort of practitioner work? So I've got all the me, the me course community too. And and I just love it. I just love every bit of it because I love women and wow. I believe in our capacity to recover. Yeah and build and create and innovate and connect. I just, I can't get enough of it. And so you will always find me just hustling, building little machines wherever I can build them to gather the women together in any which way that I can. Wow. Uh, well, one of the things you also do um, is you you have, um, I think, a Christ-informed, or Christ-shaped social vision and commitment um, that that faces race and sex and sexuality and 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 controversy. And I know you paid paid some prices for um, a commitment to love, not as a sentiment, um, but as a way of living um, with and for others as well as the self. And you, I know that, and and folk know that about you. We just came, I just came back from our House of Bishops and we were in Alabama um, and hosted by the diocese there and wonderful, wonderful folk. 
Um, and uh, we had one day when we went to uh, Montgomery for the Institute of Racial Justice uh, to both the museum um, of which, which is really sort of slavery to the present um, and um, heavy stuff. I mean, it's our story. Um, it's, it's an American story and it's our story, um, black and white alike. It's our story. It's everybody's story. Um, and we did that and, and then went to the, um, um, I don't want to call it cemetery, the, where lynchings, um, are memorialized, the memorial garden, uh, to all of that. And, and I was just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of where we are racially. I'm going to get the human sexuality in a second, but where are we, I mean, you've had insights about that and you've been a witness. Um, and I'm just wondering where, where you think coming out of the pandemic, I mean, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, I mean, we've had, um, indigenous boarding schools realizing that, you know, all of that, I mean, Asian Americans being afraid. I mean, we get the trans community has been afraid. I mean, just something's going on. Um, what do you think? What have you been thinking about? What have you been? Yeah. And I'm down here in Texas, so we have all the border. You got the border. Um, oh my God. Just abuse. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. And so, um, I, I was in Montgomery, um, a few years ago with Brian. We spent a couple of days with him, and it was when the museum was just in yeah. idea. Yeah. And went we went to several of those lynching yeah. sites and dug that dirt in those jars. It's like two hundred jars now. It was a powerful um, talisman, really, as this is this was soil and dirt. This is not uh, a construct. It isn't, you know, and now, right now, we are, I want to say it's unfathomable, but it really, it really isn't. It's just, it's devastating and scary to now be facing down, you know, this critique of critical race theory in our schools as if we could just erase it from our very history, as if it was not of the soil yeah. and of flesh and bone yeah. and of historical fact. And it's in the bones of our country. Yeah. And so I, I, we have yet to experience a true reckoning. Yeah, that's true. And I, we're, we live in an incredible time of, we have, we have our generation of leaders mm-hmm. and of leaders leading toward racial equity and equality and the eradication of white supremacy. And mm-hmm. it's a wonder to watch. Uh-huh. Um, you know, every generation has them. Of course, we'll think right. of them kinder in hindsight, probably, like we always right. do. They'll be saints then. They'll be saints then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I find myself um, just almost stubbornly in a way that's frustrating, clinging to hope. I'm Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm dating, I'm dating a person. I'm dating a person, Bishop. I'm, I'm 40 oh, really? years old and I'm dating someone. What in the world? Oh, how yes. cool. And he's black. <laughs> really? He's black. And he works, his primary work is in sort of racial justice. That's, oh, that's okay. where he concentrates his leadership. Uh-huh. We, he and I were on a trip not too long ago and another story spiked, you know, in the, in the news and we were having breakfast we were having breakfast. We were in New York and, uh, and I just, it was just another senseless shooting of an innocent person and an innocent black man. Yeah. 
and we just sat there over breakfast. I couldn't finish my food. And, and I just said, I, it just won't end. I, we, we can't get to the bottom of it. There's no bottom. And, and then we're, we're going to be gaslit that it wasn't what it was. And we didn't see what we saw and we didn't hear what we hear. And, and then the system is set up to, um, to defend these, you know, I, I'm just going on and on and on Yeah. to my black boyfriend uh-huh. who has lived as a black man his whole life. Uh-huh. And he just says to me, he just kind of lets me rant for a little bit and goes, you know, I'm hopeful. And I was like, yeah. how dare you? Like, why are you saying that? What reason could you possibly have to be hopeful? Like, that's just foolishness at this point. Mm-hmm. I was in a real mood. And um, he said, you know, he said, I am uh 6'2", big black guy with dreadlocks. Hmm. I'm in New York City at this nice restaurant having brunch with my white girlfriend. Hmm. And we have had the best couple of days. We've walked around the city. We've been loved and welcomed everywhere we went with delight. He was like, I am my ancestors' dreams. I. He's like, not 75 years ago, nobody would have believed this. Right. That this was possible, that this was the way. And he just said, things do change. Yeah. They do. When when it's in your time, it's so slow. When it's your generation, it's just such slow. The wheels of justice just grind. Mm. But they do but grind. They do grind. And they, they do, do change. They do turn. Yeah. And so yes. I just keep thinking, this is our moment. This is ours. Uh, we've been handed this little stru- stretch of time. It's all we have. Mm-hmm. And it's our work to do while we're here. And so we have to do it with hope. We have to do it with integrity. Yeah. Um, we have to do it with commitment yeah. and dedication, just like every generation before us. And so, um, so to that degree, I have been forced into mm-hmm. hope because things do change. And hopefully we're going to hand this world to our kids' generation just a little bit better than we got it. And they'll do the same. And that's how it goes. The arc of justice. Maya Angelou used to say, remember, you are the hope and the dream of the slave. And that's, God, that's true. Without, I remember in, um, I hadn't been to the, um, to Montgomery since before, since after the pandemic. Last time I was there was before. Um, But, and I didn't remember the poem um, at the Memorial Gardens, but at the end of the poem, and I'm paraphrasing, it's said better than this, but there's this line that hope is the energy that gives passion for justice. Hope is the energy that gives passion for justice. It's worth protecting. It is. It's worth protecting. It's worth nurturing. It's worth hanging on to, even when it seems like hubris to do so. When, when so much evidence to the contrary is happy to present itself every single day that we're not there because we aren't, it's, we're not there. I love that quote. And I, I hope to always be that kind of leader who never lets that extinguish. And so that all I'm running on is fury. Yeah. And we know those leaders yeah. too, yeah. you know, cause that's also fuel. Yeah, Anger is fuel. fuel and it can get you, it can get you down the road. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how long it'll work. I don't know. Right. I don't know how quickly it'll burn, that, that'll burn out and, and to what end. And so I hope to continue to put enough hope 
in the gas tank as the fuel. And then we'll let anger mix in there too, because we need a little of that as well. A little righteous anger, but it does need to be partnered with hope and with love and all the things that have ever really changed the world. So those are the same old tools. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old stuff that's always worked. Oh, nothing new. Have you had moments in your life, as Jen puts it, when you felt forced into hope because maybe things do change? Well, the other thing that happened while we were, I mean, I don't know, I'm bringing the House of Bishops in, but I'm just coming back from that. But while we were there, we reaffirmed um, a resolution. It was really kind of a statement um, of support for for the trans community, for our trans siblings, and for children and young people as well as adults. But um, because th- they are being used, um, weaponized, and and used for political purposes, um, which which in and of itself to do that to any human being is evil. That is that is evil. Um, I'm not talking about the people being evil. I'm talking about that is evil behavior. And it is. And it's happening. And I know you're in Texas. Um, and I don't want to get you in trouble in Texas. Bishop, I'm I'm as in trouble as I could ever be. You can't get me out of trouble. So <laughs> I know you are. Yeah. But I don't want to get you in more. I, I just <laughs> but but where are the voices of hope? First of all, I saw that statement and I was just moved. I was moved by it. It matters when voices of spiritual authority speak up and stand up. It matters. It just does. And the Episcopal Church has been a leader in justice forever. And so I thank you, first of all, for reaffirming what has always been true for your church. I mean, that's well, not new. You've you're not new to loving our trans siblings, but the reaffirmation of it right now, particularly at this moment, matters. And people listen to that. Everything matters. Every single statement of kindness, every bit of support, every time we vote on behalf of our neighbors, all of it matters and people are watching. And so some of it we see immediately because we see the very end of someone's journey. We see them say, okay, you're right. I'm, I'm, let, let, let me, let me turn with love toward this community. Or we see a church in its entirety say, the doors are open. Like you are welcome here and every strata of leadership. You know, we see these amazing, this amazing fruit ultimately, but there are so many folks and churches and denominations and spiritual leaders who are watching quietly and they're somewhere here. They're not down here, but they're listening and it matters. When I look at my own journey toward becoming an ally, ultimately, like re-examining what it was I was taught as a kid, holding it up to the light of truth and deciding if it was um, eternal or if that was more like just systemic. Um, it It took me a minute and I had a lot of teachers on the road that I was just like looking like this. They didn't know I was there. That's true. But I was listening. I was like listening. I was learning. I was absorbing. I was internally processing. And so, so when the Episcopal Church comes out and says, yet again, here, 
we affirm our siblings and we are for their care and safety and they are welcome in our churches and in our neighborhoods and in our homes and in our families. It matters. I would love for this to be obsolete one day. I know. That the church does not have to put out a statement that we are here as allies to our trans siblings. That that would just be a given. Just an absolute given. given. Exactly. And, you know, and to keep, I remember, I'm trying to remember, I don't, I don't remember where I was, but this was with, with um, leaders of the Jewish community who, and I, this wasn't right after the tree of life in Pittsburgh, but that was in the atmosphere. Um, And, and one of the leaders said, um, because members of the Muslim community had come out in support, opposition to what had happened. um, And it wasn't tree of life. This was after tree of life. and. Um, one of the Jewish leaders said, you have no idea the power and the impact of hope when Muslim and Christians stand with Jews or anybody else is because we're pitted against each other. Um, and, and, and to come together to support, um, each other, he said, that's a powerful witness. And he said, what you just said, he said, who knows, but that you'll call out more friends uh, who will find their way to be supportive um, as opposed to more people to be negative. It's true. We can't affect each other for the good. We can't do everything. I used to tell my congregation, we can't do everything, but you can do something. That's right. That's right. Each one of us has a couple of lanterns to hold up. That's it. Just hold them up. Hold them up with like diligence and commitment. Those are yours. Um, and if we all do it, and the whole path will be lit. So I I also feel hopeful. I don't, I, sometimes I don't even want to, but I do. I just keep thinking, okay, I just believe that in the end, what we read is true, that love is greater. It's the greater power and it has the lasting power and it'll have the last say. And so that's the side to be on. However murky it feels here in the messy middle, um, however it seems like we're living in the upside down sometimes, I just believe love's going to have the last word. And so that's our team. We're team that. Um, And so I always ask myself, my sort of through line when I'm trying to discern what to do or what to believe or how to lead or um, what to let go of, what what to just walk away from and what to engage. I always think about myself as a 95-year-old and I think, okay, when I just can't get clarity any other way, I've got two like through lines. One of them is the fruit of the tree. So Jesus's parable is my absolute gold standard for deciding if something is is godly or not. What's the fruit? Look to the fruit. That'll that'll tell you the truth. Um, but the other one is my ninety-five-year-old self, and I always think, what? Is what? My ninety-five-year-old self. And I think about her, That's me, cool. when I'm old, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. What will I be proud of? What will ninety-five-year-old me look back on and say? You did the right thing. That was the good thing. That was the holy thing. That was the loving thing. That was the brave thing. Um, She's discerning because she's not going to, she's not going to look back and wish I got sunk by the Malay. She's going to say, did you do the things that mattered? And so I think about her a lot and it helps me go, 
oh yeah, this is worth the work. Or Jen, walk away from this one. Walk away. This will be, this will disappear through your fingers a week from now. Like this one's not worth it. And so between the fruit and my old lady self, that's pretty much how I figure out how to operate in the world. (laughs) I love it. Oh, I was going to ask you, what words would you share with us that we can take away from this podcast? And you just gave them. (laughs) I think I just did. You just gave them. The fruit, old age. Here, use that. That's how you figure out how to live. (laughs) With those words, all I can say is thank you and thank God for you. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Jen Hatmaker, you are God's beloved. And you have just blessed us. God bless you, my friend. I just love you dearly and have learned so much from you and you're a mentor to me. And I am so grateful for your faithful, faithful, faithful witness on this earth. So anytime you need to fill an hour for your podcast, you call me. I'd love it. I sure will. And you just gave (laughs) me a blessing. See, now I'm just going to look ahead Um, instead of just looking back. Look ahead. Because I got about 20 more years before I'm 90. So I'm just going yeah. to look ahead to being yeah. 90. Yeah, you're <laughs> still a young man. You're, you, right. got you're plenty still- of, you got plenty of pavement in front of you. That's right. Yeah. Let's see what your old self <laughs> wants to say about it. <laughs> oh, Jack, God love you. You are incredible. And may God bless you and all you do. Thank you. Because you have surely been a blessing to us and to me. Take care, my friend. Thank you. You too. Learn more about the way of love and creating your own rule of life based on the practices of turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. Check out Jen Hatmaker's book, Feed These People, online or at your favorite independent bookstore. And visit Jen online at jenhatmaker.com. That's jenhatmaker.com. The Way of Love podcast. Executive producer is Jeremy Tackett. Our podcast engineer is Ellie Singer. Research and guest relations are managed by Amanda Scofstead. And our project manager is Chris Sycama. I'm Michael Curry, and I'll see you next time on The Way of Love. God love you.